We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? The people have spoken. They want lineups. Yes, they do. And we want lineups. We want to talk basketball. We're going to do that today. Uh, make sure you check out the Buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, where do you want to start? Well, Nick, you've done a, a thorough job of giving a diversity of discussion points for different lineups and different points. So let's kick it off with opening night starters. Who are your five? And I guess we'll see if we have any points of difference. Nick and I have got separate docs here. He gave me the template, but I didn't want him to see any of my little sneaky secrets. Not that I have any, but let's get stuck into opening night starters. I think the opening night starters is somewhat obvious in a sense of it's going to probably be Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and Nick Claxton. Now, for those that are making the discussion point for Royce O'Neal to be a starter, if he were to start, Nick, who does he replace? I think you look at, you know, sending Clax to the bench or potentially sending Joe Harris to the bench. But given Joe Harris's, you know, success playing next to Kyrie and Katie and also his relationship with Steve Nash, Sean Marks, and just also how good a player he really is. I think we underestimate Joe Harris because he's been here for so long and, you know, Knocking down threes is not the sexiest thing to do, and obviously he hasn't been super successful in the playoffs, but during the regular season, he's a great player to have next to Kyrie and KD and now Ben, who's great at creating three-point shots. So I think, in my opinion, Joe Harris is a a better overall player than Royce O'Neal, but Royce is probably the better two-way guy. But I think for the starting lineup, you want to add that offensive spark, especially if you're running with Ben and Clax, who are are essentially two of your top-tier defensive players where – you know, if you're going to have those guys on the floor, you need to have a spacer of Joe's caliber. Yeah, save some of the thoughts, Nick, because you're getting into spacing lineups later. You got some good ones, defense, um, and you know you probably mentioned there probably what is likely to be the, to be the closing lineup. If you replace Clax or Joe with Royce, I'll probably go with Clax, but we'll give some more reasoning on those. I had the exact same opening night starters, and it's good. I I, I feel like. I might be wrong in saying this, but I like that there's a bit of competition for spots now. We're seeing Clax posting on Instagram, you know, videos of him swatting away Ben Simmons and, and all these sort of things. It seems to me that there's a nice level of competition and, and vying for that starting position. Now, you know, I, I think certain NBA players and their personalities are like, oh, I need a start. I need it for my ego. I need it, you know, for my contract or whatever it might be. 
Whereas I think closing is going to matter more for this Nets team. But those opening night starters look to me to be somewhat set in stone. But I think Clax is the most vulnerable one, as you alluded to. I also think he's vulnerable because you alluded to Steve Nash and Sean Marks and both of their relationships with, with Joe Harris. I think Clax and how he has been used by Steve Nash within lineups and rotations has been sparing some time. And sometimes we should have seen more of Clax in, in certain points in time. So I think he's got a point to prove. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing him hopefully prove it in, in the preseason and early parts of next season. Yeah, he's been doing the summer work, the summer readings, Jack. You know, he's been in the Nets facility, a lot of social media, looking like he's doing all the right things. So that bodes well for him. And I think another point you made, Jack, the competition, but also there's an opportunity for competition because the Nets actually have more than five good players. You know, there's guys that actually are probably starting caliber players that are going to be coming off the bench for this team. Nick, I'm... I wanted to bring some stats back because now we're actually talking some actual NBA basketball. You were alluding to Joe Harris. I wanted, I, I've got my, my website to my sources here quickly. With Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Joe Harris on the floor in 537 minutes over the past two seasons, the Nets have a 123.2 offensive rating and a three-point field goal percentage of 44.8. Yeah. Not bad numbers, if you ask me. Yeah, you're going to win a lot of games, you know, shooting that percentage from three. And that's including a ton of other negative factors that have happened over the course of the two years as well. So, Exactly. Any final thoughts on those starters, Nick, or it seems pretty straightforward before we get into a few other different combinations? Yeah, pretty straightforward. I think if there's a trade, maybe that could open up some stuff. But other than that, I think we discussed it from most aspects as of right now. Yeah, Miles in the replies of my own tweet, a lot of people have thrown out Miles Turner and stuff. So maybe we can have those discussions and when we get to that in, in maybe the next episode. We might do this as a two-part, but we'll start off with you know a few more different combinations. The best all-bench lineup, Nick. I'm, I'm intrigued to see whether we have differing points here because the Nets do go probably 10 deep. Yeah, they definitely do, I think. Um I think this is an interesting lineup because I could have went with the five best bench players, but I think I went with someone else just because of their skill set and how it would be necessary with this lineup. So I went with uh, Cam Thomas, Seth Curry, Royce O'Neal, TJ Warren, and Markeith Morris. Obviously, you could swap out Dayron Sharp there, and you could obviously slap out Patty Mills or Cam Thomas. But I felt with this lineup, they'd need Cam Thomas's ball handling to you know be successful you know we saw essentially cam and seth have to run a lot of minutes last year and you needed the ball handling and playmaking of both just for it to be you know a competent offense yeah look patty's handle is is one of the weaknesses of his game you know he's posted videos of him in australia and he's, he's dribbling and people are already flaming him in the replies of his tweets and i'm just like let patty live his life ladies and gents i i had patty in, in replace of cam nick because as you alluded to it's the most talented lineup and yep. i think Patty and, and Seth can sort of, you know, duplicate and have some ball handling duties and sort of run some handoff stuff and, and run the offense through, you know, TJ Warren and maybe even a bit of Markeith Morris to the elbow or or something like that. I think th- those guys have plenty of uh, an offensive abilities and Royce sort of is is the glue sort of guy that, you know, will hit the three ball, will play the majority of the defense out of those guys. But, yeah, you can make a very credible argument for Cam Thomas and I think that it's going to be, you know, how much leeway is he going to have with Steve Nash in a similar way just to a discussion we had with Nick Claxton? Did his comments at Summer League run, rub anyone the wrong way within the Nets, you know, coaching stuff? What is his combination of, uh, you know, the, the weaknesses of some people criticize his tunnel vision, which I think was a, a little bit narrow-minded for those that didn't watch a heap of Nets basketball last year because I still, I still think that his decision-making overall last year was pretty good, but he did still have 
football hoggy tendencies, but at the end of the day, you go with your strengths, and he is a bucket getter, but it's harder to get buckets against NBA-caliber defense, which is why he had moments where he did struggle and he sort of forced the issue a little bit, whereas if he's a, playing a more natural game, a more mature game as he continues to grow as a player, I think you can make a very credible argument that Cam Thomas should be in there over P- Patty Mills, and maybe that's something we throw out there uh, to, to the listeners and, and to people on some of the social medias about who they think you know, should be. What is the best all-bench lineup? Is it is it led by Patty at the point, or is it led by Cam Thomas at the point? I think Cam Thomas is a more natural point guard and a more natural just floor general, even though, again, he's more of a scoring guard by nature, sort of Damian Lillard-esque. But Patty Mills is a better role player, you know, three-point marksman. He doesn't really have the ball handling capabilities. He had a nice sort of one-two tandem with LaMarcus Aldridge last year um, and, and in years, years previous. But outside of that, he's playmaking and and dribbling can be a bit of a weakness too. Yeah, I agree. And I think Cam last year was inconsistent, but that's what you expect from a rookie. I think he had games where he was a good decision maker and understood what he needed to do. And I think some of that came later on when he got the reps in. And I also think on a team like this with way more spacing, especially on the bench lineups, should suit him well. You know, let's not forget, he was operating in a very, you know, non-space units out there, and he had to try to hit tough shots. And again, being a rookie, and he's a bucket getter, but there could be more opportunities. But like you said, Patty fits well next to other great players. And I don't think we'll see a ton of all-bench lineups, especially if Steve Nash is kind of taking strides forward. You know, Patty should be able to be on the floor at times and play off of other guys because he's still a great three-point shooter. Yeah, you would think that Patty would be aligned a lot with Ben Simmons' minutes, yep. just just due to the fact that obviously they've got you know a long-standing relationship that goes back to you know Ben Simmons' teen years, and also because Ben Simmons is incredible at creating three-point shots for Seth Curry, he can easily do the exact same thing for Patty Mills, and Patty Mills is great off handoffs, you know, great off uh, a great movement three-point shooter. So I think that there could be some. The Nets will have spacing aplenty, which is something that you and I are massive fans of. I mean, the Nets have been at their best offensively. The spacing is you know, incredible, and we'll get to some of those lineups when it comes to offense and, and three-point shooting. But I'm intrigued to see you know, the combinations that Steve Nash can hopefully come up with that have a bit of flexibility, malleability, creativity in those sort of respects. And maybe Igor Kukoshkov comes up with some cool sets uh, and that sort of thing. But obviously, we have our reservations with the, the Nets coaching staff overall, but the players and, and the, the roster as it stands, the reason why we're doing a two-part lineup episode is because there's so many discussion points about it and this all-bench lineup is just one of them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and I think, you know, when we get into rotations, we'll kind of discuss, you know, second unit lineups. And like you alluded to, Jack, you could see something kind of ridiculous in the sense of like Patty, Seth, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, and then fill in somebody at the five and give him just elite spacing out there. So there's a lot of different options. And there's just way more flexibility, at least there appears to be, given how this roster was constructed. I think last year, even with what we expected from some of the bigs that underperformed, there was a lack of flexibility because those guys couldn't really share the floor together. That was always a question mark from the start. And you're never going to play three bigs. You know, you can play three forwards and that's a good thing. Could you see, I heard some recent murmurings. I'm not sure which source I got this from. So apologies to who I'm not referencing, but Edmund Sumner was, he referenced the fact that he was told that he's going to play a bit of point guard for, for the Brooklyn Nets going forward. Um, in, in, in saying that, could you see him replace Paddy or Cam in, in the discussions that we're having, Nick, as a as a ball handler? Not as in the best all-bench lineup, but in terms of... Because I don't think we're going to have a lot of Edna and Sumner talk in terms of a lot of the lineups here. But the Nets are guard-heavy. They're not very point-guard-heavy in terms of, like, you know, they don't have a, a quality backup like a... You know, whoever it might be, you throw a name in, into the hat. Rubio or something Rick, like that, yeah. Yeah, so the, along those sort of lines... Could you see Edmund Sumner maybe play alongside those other bench players and, and supplant Paddy and or Cam? I mean, it's possible. Obviously, he's coming back from a super serious injury, so we'll see how healthy he looks on the floor. I mean, he is more of a combo guard, so I'm not surprised that the Nets are telling him to kind of be prepared to play multiple positions. And again, injuries happen, crazy things happen, and guys have to kind of step up in different roles. So. Uh, I'm not super surprised by that, but I don't think he's shown at the NBA level much playmaking. You know, this is a guy that's never averaged over two assists a game, hasn't necessarily played a ton of minutes, but doesn't, you know, in talking to our guy, Corey Waldron, Sumner was more of that combo guard, probably closer to a wing almost in terms of his his play style rather than, you know, a point guard. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see. Again, we're talking a lot about the the guards here because that's how the Nets roster is currently constructed. It's sort of like you know, Control C, Control V for the the centers last year when we're doing some of this sort of chatter. But you know, I I just wanted to bring Edmund Sumner to the fore, and maybe we have to get Corey back on to you know just rehash some of those little little points here and there because I am intrigued by his skill set and and the differing the the differentiation that he has as a bit more of an athlete, a bit more size, you know, sort of as you alluded to more of a wingy sort of guard in, in that sort of uh, respect as a guy sort of six four six five ish but any final thoughts on the old bench sort of stuff nick any other names you threw in a uh, day on sharp and any other thoughts on, on him or, or other names yeah maybe kessler edwards could get in there if he really popped off or something like that but dayron would probably be the guy especially you know if you wanted to have that more size and you know a better screener you know, there isn't necessarily a, you know, Marquise Morris can screen, but Dayron Sharp can move bodies. Yeah, and, and you could sort of see Dayron in these lineups that we're sort of alluding to, where you got Patty 
and Seth or Cam and you got Cam and Darren obviously have come up together. They seem to have a pretty good relationship, you know, some, some pick and roll combos, but then just some screen, just some solid screening to get the the three point shooting here because yeah, Patty can hit the three ball, Seth can hit the three ball, Royce can hit the three ball, uh, TJ Warren can hit the three ball and just get offensive boards. And his role is just go, all right, my guy, we need you to get some boards here and we need you to just kick them out to the shooters and just do that and screen like a madman because he's incredibly strong and his body is in. Uh, in, in, in his second year, yeah. is even looking even better. So, yeah, you know, I've I've always been a bit of a Dayron believer, and I'm, and I'm making you know arguments for him. But I th- there's combinations with his skill set and his strengths as a, a role playing big man that he could be utilized pretty positively. Yeah, I think as we talked about a lot in the summer, you know, defense is really the key for him and getting on the floor is you know we know you can rebound at an elite level. You know, you're already doing that at a super high level in your second year, but defensively. Can you do enough to stand on the floor where we're just not, you know, handing over points? Nick, what's the best offensive lineup? I'm I'm intrigued to see what you went with because I had names that I'm just like looking at it now, like, man, maybe I should have put in this guy. Yeah, I mean, this is tough, but <laughs> you put out Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant. Like, I, I'm not sure what you could do to stop that. Obviously, defensively, there's going to be issues there, but you're having the most elite spacing you could potentially have for Ben Simmons. And then even when Ben is doesn't have the ball in his hands and KD or Kyrie does, Ben can still finish inside. He's still a, a rim-rolling option if he you know buys into that role or provides you a, a level of vertical spacing. So like to me, that seems like something that's just super deadly. And it wouldn't be a lineup you could play for a long period of time because it's so bad defensively, but it's a lineup that could give you, you know, 20 points in like four minutes. It's it'd be absolutely incredibly lethal, and as a lot of people do know, Ben Simmons, when it comes to generating three point shots outside of Russell Westbrook, since he's entered the league, is the league leader in that department. And him finding open shots for for everyone is something I'm I'm really looking forward to. You know, he's an amazing passer, got really good game instincts. I'm hoping that he's just back. I don't think that that's something that you do lose. You know, he might obviously you know to get his conditioning right and get, getting his, his his legs under him. But you don't lose the nous and the smarts. That normally gets better with age. And yeah. the fact that he's been you know watching the game a little bit more, knows how the nets and um, the work and I'm sure knows their tendencies. He's going to be, you know, as we discussed before, and Hassan on the mailbag episode, a souped-up Draymond Green. You know, more athletic, you know, more forceful, more physical. If all things going well, his body is okay. And the, the reports we've got, what ones we discussed on previous episodes are that he is on track to be playing in and going doing five on fives and, and ready for training camp. But yeah, that is an incredible lineup and you try stopping it on the defensive end. And I think that if Steve Nash realizes, you know, I, I think he had a quote that we both had reservations about last year about, you know, we're more of a defensive team. If Steve Nash realizes this year and goes, yeah, let's just like beat teams 150 to 130. And then, you know, finds way because I, I still think this Nets team is better defensively than they were maybe the past year or two. You can make arguments for that, Nick, when you have Joe Harris back in comparison to last year where you have to play Seth, you have to pay Patty. He's basically five inches taller, stronger, you know, better defensive capabilities. You add in a Royce O'Neill and you add in a Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton continues to grow. If you have Ben Claxton, and Royce O'Neal and KD, you know, relatively engaged. That's four above average, if not very good, and if not elite in some respects, defensive players. So uh, 
probably saving yeah. uh, some of the, some of the chatter for the defensive lineup talk. Yeah, and I think even you have you know some okay guys too. You know guys that are just like okay, like T.J. Warren. I think it's, if he plays to the level he was playing in Indiana, he's okay defensively. Markeith Morris is okay defensively. They're not great defenders, but like last year it was just so many big negatives or so many holes that you could just attack. And just one more note on the offensive lineup would just be like. You could swap in TJ Warren for Ben Simmons if you wanted to as well, or you could swap in TJ Warren for one of the guards, you know, be Seth or Joe Harris if you wanted more size. If you did go with Warren over Ben, now you're essentially guarding KD on an island. You know, where's the help coming from? And then when the help comes, there's a great three-point shooter. You know, TJ Warren's three-point history is a little weird because I want to say his last two to three seasons, he shot around 40%, but before that, he wasn't a three-point shooter. So, you know, it's, I think we want to see a little bit more evidence, but I have confidence that he'll he'll be good from there. Yeah, I think the the bucket getting, you know, straight yeah. buckets, as, as Kevin Durant likes to say when he's picking his all-star teams. You know, TJ Warren's three-point percentage, Nick, uh, I decided to hit up basketball reference. Uh, obviously, last year, 2020, when he played four games, we're going to discount that. But in 2019-20, you obviously take the bubble into account. But the year before that as well in Phoenix, 42.8% on 4.2 attempts. And in 1920, 3.4 attempts at 40.3%. So... Those are if those if he gets anywhere close to those numbers, you would expect him to get around that sort of mark because in this in iteration of a team where the spacing is a plenty and you have a guy who can create threes for other players better than probably any other player in the NBA right now, I would say with Ben Simmons, if he's healthy again, that's predicated you know, yep. with all the discussions we have about Ben Simmons. I think uh, TJ Warren's offensive game. And uh, is going to be at, at a premium, and I think he's going to, you know, fit into to this team incredibly well. And he's going to earn himself a, a, a contract next year going forward, where it's going to be certainly above the vet minimum if he continues to show what we think he can show. Yeah, obviously going to be tough for the Nets to retain him if he really pops off. But Jack, who's the what's the best defensive lineup in your mind? I had Ben Simmons at the point. I had Joe Harris at the two, or Royce O'Neal, Joe, Joe Harris at the two and three, you know, interchange them wherever. And then Kevin Durant and I had Nick Claxton. Did you have different? So I I didn't have Joe Harris. I went with either, um, that's why I made you answer it first, because I just want to see what you had. Uh, David Duke Jr. as a potentially, okay. or Kessler Edwards. Everything okay. else is the same. You know, Royce O'Neal, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Nicholas Claxton. Obviously, you know, I think if, if we're trying to keep it somewhat realistic, I think uh, David Duke Jr. would give you you know, another ball handle you'd probably need with this lineup because Royce isn't really doing much. Obviously, Ben and KD can do a good amount, but you want to put, put that pressure on them. And we know Cass can't really handle the ball at all at this point in time. So, you know, I think that could be something we potentially would see maybe if they really wanted to, like, lock down. Or, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the older vets plays a little bit better defensively than we expected. No, definitely. And I think the argument for Kessler was is that he showed last year that he's better at guarding down position than up positions, yep. despite the fact that he's six seven, strong, good rebounder, and has tendencies in the future to play a small ball five. I think that, you know, if you have Ben Simmons and Kessler Edwards guarding the perimeter, that's pretty pretty bloody good. Yeah. And then and you their added, third best offensive player is either going to be guarded by Royce O'Neal or Kevin Durant. Yeah, so the, the the Nets actually despite the fact that obviously it's like are the, are the Nets going to play defense? Are the Nets going to play defense? We've just talked about names where you can obviously Simmons, Joe, Royce, Durant, Claxton 
those guys were going to be in the rotation no matter what. But you can make arguments for Kessler. You can make arguments for David Duke Jr., given you know, how, how good his offseason has been and summer league. So there are combinations there and that Steve Nash has up his sleeve if he decides to use him to go, all right, we need to get a couple of stops here. Let's change the momentum of the game. Kyrie, you got to come out for a little bit. Seth, you know, we can't be small here. We, let's give him some size. Let's give him some strength. Let's give him some versatility on the perimeter as well as inside. Yeah, I agree, Jack. And I think that's a counter that Steve Nash will have this year. That's something he can do and something he can throw out there. We'll see if he actually does it, but it's it's good to have that. One thing I will point out about a weakness of the Nets defense is rim protection. And I think yeah. a, a lot of people have pointed that out, and I do agree with it. I don't think it's necessarily the biggest thing in the world when it comes to the postseason, but in the regular season, it's why Rubico the Warriors. Bears. Yeah, ask the Warriors. I, ask, well, I think Rob Williams is a pretty bloody good rim defender. Uh, but uh, during the regular season, it's why Rudy Gobert has won 45 million uh, Defensive Player of the Year awards because he is probably one of the best rim-protecting centers we've ever seen. Joel Embiid is incredible in that department as well. Nick Claxton, I think, is good, and I don't think gets enough credit for it. Yeah. I think his, his strengths are more as a switchable defender, as sort of just like a, a help guy uh, in, in those sort of respects and sort of like a, a wing guy in a, in a center's body. But I think his his rim protection is is better than people do give him credit for. So he showed a little and, growth last year, I thought, in the rim protection. Obviously, a lot of it's going to be size. Like when someone goes chest to chest with him, he just doesn't have the weight or the physicality to kind of match that. But against you know when a wing goes up against him, you know rim at the rim, he can block that shot. We've seen him have some great rejections at the rim. So I think strength is really a factor for him in that area, as it's been his entire NBA career. Yeah, exactly. I I totally agree with that. But you know, the Nets might make an addition, and you know, if Miles Turner's there, then dear lord, that that <laughs> that's a pretty flawless defensive lineup in a lot of ways. Um, in in ways that we discussed. But let's get to some spacing, Nick. The best spacing lineup. We'll get to this one. I don't know if we do the closing one because I think they sort of fit in a little bit, um, with themselves. And then we'll get to our second part. We want to do a couple little little bite sized ones for you guys over the off season. Um as we head into our preview series, but starting off first, Nick, best spacing lineup. Yeah, I think, you know, this team is blessed with shooters. You know, you could put Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, and Kevin Durant out there. Obviously, they did have Patty Mills and TJ Warren, and you could probably put Warren in for Royce if you wanted to have a little bit more size. I just went with guys that I thought were the, you know, best three-point shooters, but also somewhat realistic. If we went just purely off three-point talent, you know, we'd have Patty Mills in there, but <laughs> you're getting really smurfy if you're doing that, you know, running Patty, Kyrie, Seth, and then Joe at the power forward and Katie at the five. But it's kind of ridiculous. The Nets have this many 40% three point shooters on one team. And it's, it's really, really insane. Now I did have Patty Mills in my lineup and I don't think people will be surprised about that. Given my, I had Kyrie, Curry, Mills, Harris threat. Now, obviously Mills isn't going to play the three. You, you, you switch those guys around, but you know, a, a, against a three, certain teams, you could really like talk yourself into. If there's another team in the league that's playing super small and playing with a bad center, like that'd be a lineup that you could definitely put out there. Yeah, I mean, like uh, a Portland when Nurkic is off the floor or something like that. Like you know, teams that have and you know, OKC had success when they did the three guard combinations. And you know, yes, Shea is obviously you know six five, six six, six seven in in some respects. But you know, Patty Mills shot forty percent from three on seven attempts a game. You know, last yeah. season, and he had 
He was inconsistent. You know, at the start of the year, he was one of the best players in the league when it came to three-point shooting. Seth Curry is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Joe Harris is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. And Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So it is incredible the amount of spacing that the Nets do have. And you add in TJ Warren, who could be a, a pretty lethal there. I think Kessler Edwards, you can make a semi-argument for as well. Yeah. I thought his three-point shooting was pretty positive last year as well. So spacing, which is what I think can open up the floor in so many facets for this Nets team. It allows you know, the isolation style of offense for Kyrie Irving and Kemmerant to flourish because they're not going to have four other defenders trying to hang towards them like we saw in that Boston Celtics series. Spacing opens up so many different avenues for other uh, parts of the offense. And the fact that the Nets have a heap of that on their roster is a credit to Sean Marks and it is a credit to the way that it has been constructed. I think the offense is going to look so much better because of it. Yeah, it puts a lot of stress on the defense. It puts them in conflict because now the question is, do I help or do I come off this elite three-point shooter? And you mentioned Patty and his stats. It's crazy as the Nets, you know, might have the the best spacing lineup in the entire NBA. You know, maybe if you exclude if you want to exclude the Warriors with Steph Curry because he's on a whole nother level. But, you know, you could argue this is top three. And then one of the other top five lineups is just swapping in Patty Mills or one of the other guys. Like they they can maintain this and maintain elite three-point shooting with the guys they have. And like you said, you know, credit the Nets for seeing the issue last year and addressing it and making sure they're well-suited going to the season. Exactly. So we'll, we'll see how it does pan out. I think it's going to lead to some very, very good things. But Nick, we'll finish with closing lineup. I'm guessing we sort of hinted at it towards the start of the episode in some of our chatter. Who did you have? Yeah, I went with Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant. And obviously, I think Ben will probably be more at the five. That's just how I kind of spoke it out there. But I think given some of the the crumbs we've been given, you know, Royce was kind of that Bruce Brown replacement. And we we had ideas. This was a lineup they wanted to see last year. And obviously, Claxton closed in a lot of ups last year. And Ben could fit into that spot and pretty much do everything Clax can do and also provide you more. I think that it's the the one that does make the most sense. And, you know, we, we chatted about Royce starting, you know, should he start? I think he's more likely to close. And I think that the Nets will look better because of that, because of his three-point shooting, because of his versatility, because of his, he's sort of that glue guy that sort of connects things. I think he's, he's, he's literally be a good a, connector offensively in terms of passing the basketball. He just fits his role very, very well. Yeah, he runs the open floor, creates his own offense through some of his defense. Um, I think that the Nets closing lineup is going to be, Pretty scary, and I think uh, as we were asked in some of our mailbag questions, is it a concern that they don't have a, a heap of size or a, or a you know a bona fide center, a Miles Turner, or you know whoever else it might be you want to throw there? Doesn't bother me because I think talent is is what matters, and the Nets have a lot of talent. A ten man, you know, you can make an argument given some of our the promise of our rookies, maybe even deeper than that. So closing lineup is is going to be one of the better closing lineups in the NBA, and I think that that puts the Nets in a really good spot because what you want is good closes. You don't need to have the best starting five in the NBA. It's about how you finish the night and and when the, the crunch time matters, the Nets are going to have some pretty good options to choose from. Yeah, and I think they could also you know switch some things up. You know, They're going against a more traditional big and they want to have clacks out there. They could probably do that and find a way to make that work. You know, Royce or Joe Harris come out, probably Royce in that situation. Um, if you want to go... More defensive, but maintain your spacing. You know, you could always go TJ Warren over Royce O'Neal or Joe Harris. You know, you could even maybe squeeze Markeith Morris or Kessler Edwards in some of those lineups, like you said, Jack. I think if you wanted to get a little longer or, you know, taller in some of these lineups, you definitely could do it. So I think that's the great flexibility where last year, 
you're trying to squeeze together, you know, five guys that could close the game and you feel pretty good about it, especially when the Nets weren't fully healthy because you figure what the Nets were closing a lot of games last year with like Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Kevin Durant, Bruce Brown, and Nick Claxton. Or did I name too many guys? No, no, that's right. Yeah, they're, they're closing a lot of games with that lineup, and there's obvious flaws defensively and offensively there. So the fact is that they can do something that's way more balanced and more talented this year gives you a better idea of the the state of the roster. And obviously that means the guys have to be healthy and they have to be playing on you know the best of their abilities, but it's still there. You know that The possibility is still there. Where even if Ben and Joe were healthy last year, I think there's a little bit of question about some of this stuff, but... Again, you you are happy with the different options and the flexibility that's there now than it wasn't in the past. If they do even have an injury, let's just say, you know, Royce O'Neal goes down or, you know, Joe Harris goes down. You know, you have guys that can come in and you feel good about them closing the game. For sure. And for a little taser, a t- taster for what's going to come into the next part two episode, guys, we go through small balls, some youth, some buckets lineups, the biggest lineup in terms of a bit of size, and then talking about lineup versus certain contenders, as well as you know, a bit of chat from a tweet that I put out. So if you want to get involved in the discussion, hit up my timeline, scroll a little bit down. I asked for people some of their combinations that they wanted to to see and, and ask, discuss on the episode. So plenty more to come with lineup talk, but this was a fun start, Nick, part one and part two. Yes, sir. Obviously, talking lineups is always great. And like you said, we got part two coming, previews coming after that. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And Jack, always a pleasure. And check the buzz on all stream platforms. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.